Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, it is the summer of 1926 and the legendary journalist Ida Tarbell is visiting Italy and reporting on the rise of Benito Mussolini for an American audience. And the articles she is publishing are... Not so great. (laughs) They're uh, flattering portraits of Mussolini, sometimes comparing him to Napoleon, lauding the social programs he's implementing, downplaying, you know, the the fascism that's sort of at the heart of it all. Um, And I should say this is the first time we've talked about Tarbell on this show, and I feel a little bad that it's in the context of this kind of late career drift towards Mussolini because Tarbell was one of the pioneering investigative journalists of the progressive era. She wrote incredibly critically throughout the teens and twenties about big business in this country. And she probably was like directly responsible for legislation that broke up oil companies and other monopolies. Mm -hmm. But folks, the calendar is the calendar. Here we are in late summer. We were looking for stories and lo and behold, in 1926, Ida, is in Italy and kind of falling for Mussolini in this very interesting way. So here to discuss, as always, are Nicole Hammer of Vanderbilt and Kelly Carter-Jackson of Wellesley. Hello there. Hello, Jody. Hey there. Um, we will do why was Ida Tyrell so influential and what, what all the great muckraking <laughs> she did in, in, in the 20s, for sure. Um, I'll just say kind of like the larger interesting theme here is this, is that People's politics drift, but also I think there's, you know, and but I also think that there's this very interesting thing that I think is, you know, feels resonant to me now, too, where, you know, we find progressives finding common cause or being uh, wooed uh, by autocrats. Uh, and I think there's yeah. some interesting stuff that that's I, we're noticing in the culture and our politics now. And I think is, um, yeah. we can see that in this story. But who was Tarbell? Let's look at, you know, the career, the muckraking, the the impact domestically, and then we'll talk about these um, these excursions to Italy. So Ida Tarbell is probably one of the most famous female journalists of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. She writes a book called The History of the Standard Oil Company, uh, which explodes onto the American scene because it's responsible for the dissolution of the Standard Oil Company monopoly, the creation of the Federal Trade Commission, like multiple pieces of major legislation. She does that with one book. <laughs> like we, we could all hope that we can do that with one book. <laughs> right. um, but she also writes a lot of big biographies. So she writes a, a biography on Napoleon and she writes a biography on um Abraham Lincoln. And I 
kind of think that part of her perhaps obsession or, or maybe like, um, I don't know, adoration of Mussolini is in the same way that she admires someone like a Lincoln or like Napoleon or like mm-hmm. these other big, huge figures. She sees their charisma. She sees their leadership or their ability to make decisions. And that is attractive to her in, hmm. in some way. Especially in this era of stronger and stronger presidents. I mean, Abraham Lincoln was something of an aberration in the 19th century as somebody who was really able to control national policy in part because he was a wartime president, um, that he made big, Mm -hmm. bold moves in order to get what he wanted as president, um, including things like during the war, suspending habeas corpus, issuing the Emancipation Proclamation, like he was Mm -hmm. making big, bold moves. And by the time that Tarbell comes out with her book, The History of Standard Oil, you have another pretty active president in Teddy Roosevelt. And even though Teddy Roosevelt was pretty annoyed with muckraking journalists like Tarbell, he's the one that that gives them the name muckrakers because he thinks that they're too busy sort of like scraping through the muck and coming up with these sensationalistic stories rather than, you know, working in the high realm of politics. He needs them. Because they publish their stories, whether it's Ida Tarbell or whether it's somebody like Upton Sinclair writing about the meatpacking industry, and it helps him to promote this legislation that he wants in order to strengthen the federal government and use government power to make lives better for people, which is kind of where the progressives were as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting reframing that I help think helps explain this story of the progressive era. Um, you know, we I guess tend to think of it as one in which, you know, there were a lot of reforms and unions were maybe more powerful and big monopolies were getting broken up, but they were getting broken up with a sort of clenched fish smashing them over the head, (laughs) um, you know, of of presidential power or whatever. And so I think um, we start to then maybe get a sense of, um, as you were saying, people like Tarbell, their view of, of government. You know, I mean, I think the through line in many ways is, is you can be skeptical of corporate power, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a particular approach to governmental power. You can still uh-huh. sort of find common cause with um, very strong governmental forces, even if you're skeptical of, of monopolistic private forces. Uh-huh. And we should say, like, progressives weren't entirely opposed to democracy or populism. No. They are responsible for yeah. um changing the constitution so there's a direct vote in the senate which was about again breaking up corruption so they had a lot of different solutions but you can i think kelly's right if you look at the folks that tarbell was writing about um that there is something appealing about having strong centralized power to get the Mm -hmm. things done that you want to get done i mean and mussolini when he bursts onto the scene tarbell says italians have found their moses i was Mm -hmm. like ooh. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a strong statement. But again, I think it's because, you know, he comes in completely forcefully. And that's one of the things that she really leaves out of her critique is the violence and the force that that is accompanied by his leadership. Um, she seems to only look at like the, the decisions, the forceful decisions that he's making and not how much he's harming people in his wake. And there is something about the Mussolini fascination and this idea that, you know, not only were progressives interested in strong leaders generally, but this idea that Italians were ungovernable 
in general, mm. right? There's a little bit of anti-Italian racism in this, mm. in this mm. idea that actually, you know who needs a strong man to get Italians to get their act oh, together? Um, you know, it was this idea that, you know, that it was a fractious country and that the Italian people were not self-motivated, maybe not yeah, all entirely fit for democracy. Yeah, mm-hmm. all, the, all the stereotypes fall into play um, yeah. and fit very nicely into this package. Yeah. And, you know, it is worth pointing out that Tarbell is not alone in this. It's not like she's mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, on her own journey or whatever. I mean, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the sort of her muckraker cohort are doing this, are looking to Europe, um, you know, in the wake of World War One, and seeing Mussolini. But, you know, Lincoln Steffens called him a, quote, divine dictator. Samuel McClure, another, you know, big name in muckraking journalism of the time, said that he found him, quote, full of force and charm and kindness. Uh, even Ernest Hemingway seemed to be under the spell for a little bit. Uh, he would eventually kind of you know, changed his politics pretty quickly, but in the 20s at least, um, was taken by Mussolini's charm. And it does seem like at some level, I guess, Kelly, this is to your point, you know, but like personal charm Mm -hmm. and just sort of being enamored of this figure um, was a big part of this as well, which I suppose for a writer, you know, will always be appealing. Here is an appealing Mm -hmm. character, you know? Yeah, that's always, I mean, there's a certain... um I don't know, like seduction that comes with the way people use their words or carry themselves that evokes this sense of like um, enamor. And I think that Mussolini definitely had that. Um, But a lot of powerful dictators have that about them. And it's not necessarily about looks. You know, it's not like, oh, he's six Mm -hmm. feet tall, dark and handsome. You know, like it's it's about the way that they carry their power, the way that they use their power that in some ways is alluring to people. If you ask me, it's highly problematic. But (laughs) 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 But that appeal, we see that time and time again. And you marry that with the kind of managed news that was coming out of Italy at the time. I mean, the head of the Associated Press's bureau in Rome was a pro-fascist journalist, Salvatore Cortesi. And so the reports that Americans were getting from Italy were that this rising power was more or less benevolent, right? Cortesi wasn't writing about the violence that was happening. And we're talking about the street gangs. And so for the journalists who were in Italy and who were witnessing these attacks, they were able to have a more clear-eyed view than somebody like Tarbell, who sort of swans in and is given the dictator's royal treatment um, and has this rosier view because it hasn't been necessarily contravened by the press reports they're reading. And, I mean, you know, all of this is so resonant. I mean, you know, I think that this this sort of controlling the press, controlling the narrative, obviously that's a playbook that not just in Italy, I mean, you know, you think of uh, Berlusconi, who sort of got his start through um, having a media stranglehold. But yeah, the fascist playbook, the autocrat playbook involves kind of crafting these these narratives and the the wooing of influential voices. And we see that throughout mm-hmm. the 20th century uh, to now where you get these, you know, you get 
reporters who are seduced to you, Kelly, I think that's the right mm-hmm. word, you know, in the thrall of people. Um, and, you know, so now that's happening <laughs> at home as well, yeah. um, <laughs> as well as with foreign with foreign autocrats. But then you get people do, who do have an about face, like Ernest Hemingway yeah. changes his opinion. And he says, I was like, oh, that's that hurts. <laughs> he called him the, the great bluff of Europe. And then he said that he was a man who expressed small ideas with big words. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, ooh. And, yeah. you know, Hemingway is I, I've been reading and thinking about Hemingway a little bit lately because I'm reading a book about Americans who ended up in the Spanish Civil War. And Hemingway was over there sort of poking around as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's anti-fascist, uh, you know, and you see, I think, just in general in this era, wake of World War One into the B- World War Two, you see a lot of Americans who are kind of politically minded um, journalists and others looking to Europe and looking to all of the sort of different strains of politics and that are emerging um, between the rise of Mussolini and the uh, the Spanish Civil War and obviously the rise of fascism um, further east. And, you know, there, a lot of people are sort of going over there and sort of um, getting getting involved in one way or another. And um, we'll do I'll, we'll find an excuse to do an episode about Americans in the Spanish Civil War because it's oh, yeah. super great. fascinating. That would be great. Yeah. 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 Um, we should note F. Scott Fitzgerald, who sort of is another name poking around here, reportedly from the beginning was like, don't trust that guy. Held true. <laughs> Not a Mussolini <laughs> fan. So there you go. Good for him. Um, but Always coming back to, yeah, but coming back to this larger question of both, I think, the progressive era, but also just like progressivism and these sort of interesting edges of it. Does this help or does this kind of reframe for us a little bit of what the progressive era was and what progressivism mm. in that moment meant. I think so, because one thing that we often lose when we're looking back at the past is a sense of contingency and what's not known. And progressives at the time are trying to figure out how to use government to do what they see as good things. And mm-hmm. they talk about good government and they talk about reforms. And sometimes they even talk about the people as something good. Sometimes they don't trust the people that much. They're interested in experts. They're interested in technocracy. And mm-hmm. at the time, an idea like fascism, which we hear and we're immediately like, oh, that's a bad thing. People don't know what to make of it yet. And of course, there are progressives who, interested in the power of government, see somebody using the power of government, as they said at the time, like, make the trains run on time and Mm -hmm. to help discipline what they see as a, a rowdy population they see that as something that's good because they're interested in controlling populations. Um, And so I think it helps us have a more nuanced view, not just of progressives, but of Americans more broadly at the time. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think all of these writers that are big leaders that Ida Tarbell is writing about, they're all extremely flawed, you know, Lincoln's mm-hmm. really flawed, Napoleon, extremely flawed, you know, like, and even these big corporations, Standard Oil, you know, really, really problematic. And so we have the hindsight to be able to step back and look at all with all this history and have all of this knowledge. But um, Ida Tarbell is looking at it right in the moment that she's living in. And I think in some ways, you know, she's writing with the with a sense of myopia, too about mm-hmm. the full picture of who these people are. Yeah. Um, Nikki, as a watcher of modern kind of media environment, I'm curious if you feel like there's any resonance here for, you know, what I see as like 
former progressives, former, you know, lefty, especially like muckrakey journalists who have a sort of skepticism of power, um, weirdly finding, you know, common cause with Trumpism and um, mm. at least at, at the very least being like, what, what is it? The anti anti Trump, you know, but um, do you see that <laughs> at all sort of? In this? Oh, yeah. And I, I, I think the dynamics are a little different than in the progressive era. But when you make heterodoxy the central component mm-hmm. of your personality and your identity, it can lead you into some pretty bad places if it's not bound by a higher set of values. And so when you see people, should we name check people? Yeah, we can name Glenn, Glenn <laughs> Greenwald. If you see people like Glenn <laughs> Greenwald um, floating into those camps, it is... Um, yeah. It's fascinating, right? Because uh, skepticism of power in one corner becomes a blind allegiance to it in others. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty interesting from a political viewpoint and from a psychological viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. There you mm-hmm. go. That is very well said. And we will uh, leave it there. Um, and I promise we will you know, maybe dive into other chapters of Tarbell's life and work because there are some very interesting things there. But um, yeah, this has been super fascinating. Nicole Hammer, thanks to you as always. Thank you, Jody. And Kelly Carter-Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. Support for this day in esoteric political history comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it, Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash this day. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash this day. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know, it does have an impact, though. Money. You can call it lobbying. You can call it super PAC spending. You can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia.